Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross and Novak Djokovic is champion in Rome, his first title of 2022. I am here to break it down. He beat Stefano Tsitsipas 6-love, 7-6 in the final. Lots to get into with both Tsitsipas and Djokovic, and I'm going to save French Open Power Rankings for the end. So, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, French Open Power Rankings. Before I get into the match, let's zoom out here. Djokovic misses the first part of 2022 for the most part, comes back for the clay, doesn't look good. Gasses out against Alejandro Davidovic Fikina. Has to play three sets against everyone and their mother in Belgrade. And then gasses out in the final against Andre Rublev. Loses the third set. Six love. Then he goes to Madrid. He loses to Carlos Alcaraz in a third set tiebreak. But it was very clear what the trend was. And how he was looking better and better and better. Rome... He looks like the best player in the world again. That's what he looked like. For now. And right now. And he wins it without dropping a set. He went from not being able to win a, a straight a match in straight sets in Belgrade. In the Belgrade 250. To not dropping a set in Rome. And not that this is very unpredictable. If, you know... You've been listening to me, and if you believed me, then, um, or if, or if you believed in it yourself, obviously, without me, independent of me, which I'm sure a lot of you did, uh, this doesn't really come as much of a surprise. It's what Novak Djokovic has done in the last chapter of his career, which is build up to this major. French Open has the longest lead up of any of the slams, and we have seen Novak's results in March and April uh, kind of suffer a little bit, especially in March. And we've seen him continue to do amazing in Rome. Why? What's the difference? What's the difference between that guy in Belgrade and Monte Carlo and the guy in Rome? I'm not going to make this complicated. First serve. Let me change the order. Fitness, first serve, forehand. That's it. That's the difference. His return always looked fine. His movement always looked fine. He could be consistent. 
there were three things missing. Fitness, first serve, forehand, and that is what has rounded back into form. And uh, I do want to, you know, give credit just just thinking about this. Uh, Maria Sakari's coach, Tom Hill, calls that the three Fs and has, uh, has this is from re- reporting from my friend Joel Drucker, who uh, talked to Tom Hill, and uh, he said, yeah, that's what I'm working on with Maria, the three Fs, fitness, first serve, forehand. It's kind of, it's kind of the key these days, modern game, fitness, first serve, forehand. You can get pretty far with those three things, and uh, that's what's been so, so much better for Djokovic. I'm going to get into his final with Pass after a quick shout-out to Player Court, the place to go if you're looking for a local coach, practice partner, or match. The number one reason people don't continue to play tennis is because uh, they can't find anyone to play with. And I certainly do not want that to happen to you, and that's why I've arranged a discount, a 50% off discount, for you to join the Player Court community at the link below, playercourt.com slash gilgross. The link is in the description. The first question I want to answer when it comes to the final with Tsitsipas is what was the difference between the first set and the second set? I think that's the most pressing thing to answer because obviously a weird score line here, it was 6-love and then 7-6. So let me just tackle that first. It was pretty much the effectiveness of Tsitsipas' serve against Djokovic's return. That was the difference. And God, it was such a big difference. I mean, as different as the score line. You could say. First set, Tsitsipas makes 50% of first serves. 8% of those first serves are unreturned. 8%. Probably one, maybe two, but probably one if I uh, looked at the raw number. So, no free points. Never. Not even a thing. Not going to happen. Sorry. That's a problem for Tsitsipas, right? And it's not like the number is misleading because he got a bunch of sitter forehands that Djokovic just happened to get back into play short in the court and the point was over quickly anyway. Shots, uh, rallies, four shots or less on the Tsitsipas serve. Djokovic won six points, Tsitsipas won four. Of course, that's a statistic that Tsitsipas should dominate. Zero through four shots on serve. Go to the second set. Tsitsipas makes 76% of first serves. 46% are unreturned. He wins rally zero through four shots on serve. 18 to five. 18 to five. So 50%, 8%, and losing four to six versus 76% made. 46% unreturned, winning 0 through 4, 18 to 5. What did he do? He changed something. He changed his placement. Djokovic's forehand return was godly. It felt like every time Tsitsipas served to the forehand, Novak was not just getting it back, he was crushing it back. And in set one, Tsitsipas kept serving to the forehand, and in set two, he was serving to the backhand. That was the difference. That was the that was the really big big difference. 
Uh, I'm going to put it up for you graphically here. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. But uh, in set one, 83% uh, on the deuce side went out wide to the forehand. And 80% on the ad side went T to the forehand. In set two, 67% on the deuce side went T to the backhand. And 67% on the ad side went wide to the backhand. So we went going from 80% forehand to 67% backhand. It's kind of crazy how exact those numbers are, obviously, with being a perfect third. I mean, uh, two-thirds, I should say. That's just a coincidence, but still kind of funny how that worked. Huge reversal there. So Tsitsipas figured something out. He figured something out in the second set, and that's why it was tight, because his serve was working really well. He served wonderfully. If I were to give him a grade for how well he served in the second set, I'd give him an A or an A+. Um, and, you know, obviously, Djokovic's forehand return was pretty much constantly great, pretty much the whole time. So um, the problem was for Tsitsipas, obviously, you know, first set serve is nothing, doesn't give him anything, and he loses six love. I'm going to get into a key moment in the first set as well. Second set is serve works really, really well, and that's why it's tight. But the constant, both the first set and the second set, is it felt like Tsitsipas was losing pretty solidly off the ground. And you can look at the second set the way it played out, and Tsitsipas serves for it at 5-3. And that 5-3 game was the one game where Tsitsipas didn't get any help from his serve. And Djokovic landed four good returns and broke at 15. Four good returns. And look, you're playing a great returner for Tsitsipas. Those games are going to happen. There's going to be games where your serve isn't really going to work for you or give you much. You have to, and, and it's not going to be easy to hold serve when that happens. There's no doubt about that. You have to be able to fight through some tough holds. You have to be able to get through some of those games. It felt like Tsitsipas just could never get through those games. It was either his serve was giving was spotting him two or three points, or he wasn't winning the game. So four good returns come back at 5-3. Tsitsipas gets broken, and the second set rolls on. And then he loses the tiebreak. I'll talk about the tiebreak later. I'm going to end with that. Rallies over four shots in the first set. So five or more shots, 12 to four Djokovic. In the second set, 18 to 12 Djokovic. So that's what it felt like. It felt like serve or bust for Tsitsipas. And the stats back that up because when they were in rallies, Djokovic was winning. It felt too much like serve or bust. That was true in the first set and it was true in the second set. The only difference was in the second set, Tsitsipas' serve was booming, not busting. So let me talk about now why Djokovic had that edge off the ground. Why was he winning the rallies? Why did he look like the better player off the ground from the baseline? Well, first of all, going back to Roland Garros, when they played in the final and Tsitsipas got up two sets to love. One of the biggest issues for Djokovic, maybe the biggest issue in the first two sets in that match, was he was getting killed forehand to forehand. Tsitsipas's forehand was bigger and heavier and Djokovic in that cross court was losing. Um, that did not happen in this match at all. And it, a lot of it just had to do with the pace and the quality, I think, coming off the forehand side from Djokovic. Remember, fitness, first serve, forehand. 
that's what's improved for him. Um, he was hitting his forehand so big, so much quality cross court. Tsitsipas wasn't hurting Novak at all there. And that is a major key against Tsitsipas. If you are able to go to his forehand without getting hurt, boy, does that open up possibilities. It's better than going to the backhand um, over and over and over again, which a lot of players have to do. Because most players, when they go to the forehand, they don't have the depth, they don't have the quality to go to the Tsitsipas forehand without getting hurt. Djokovic was going there, and he wasn't getting hurt. And what does that do? That opens up the backhand side of the court. It opens up the, that side of the court so that when Novak does go to the backhand, Tsitsipas is under pressure. He's on the move. He's on the run. Because when Steph, especially on clay, is camped out in that backhand corner, when he's when his feet are set, when he is ready for it, he's going to hit the backhand a lot better. He's going to hit the backhand fine. But if you put him on the move, if you put him on the run, that is where you are going to get a massive dip in the quality of Tsitsipas' backhand. So Djokovic holds his ground in the forehand-to-forehand cross-court. That's a huge key here. That opens up the backhand side. Um, and Djokovic ended up forcing a ton of errors with his forehand down the line. Uh, I don't know that there were that many winners, forehand down the line winners, but a ton of forced errors because he was rushing Tsitsipas with sheer pace and taking time away. Time and pace, rush the backhand, put Tsitsipas on the run on that shot. And, I mean, Steph just can't defend well enough um, with as big as Djokovic was hitting his forehand. Uh, but but let's also zoom out and just be real about this. This is about Djokovic's pace. And, you know, this isn't a brilliant, this isn't some kind of genius game plan. This is called hitting hitting your forehand really, really big and the possibilities that that can unlock for you. Now, obviously, when Djokovic hits his forehand really, really big, he does so without missing, which is also pretty unique to uh, to what Djokovic can do when his forehand is at its best. thought that was the biggest reason why Novak was so comfortable from the baseline, going to the Tsitsipas forehand without getting hurt because of the quality that Djokovic was delivering. I do want to talk about a key moment in the first set. I think it was the the... Number one reason why this set was six love and got out of hand for Tsitsipas. Djokovic gets the early break, but at love two with Tsitsipas serving, he goes up 40-15, and it looks like, okay, Steph is about to hold, and we're about to, you know, he's he's still in the first set, 40-15, makes a first serve at 40-15, a good one. Midcourt forehand. Perfect plus one setup. Tsitsipas hits a big forehand inside in. Looking to finish. Serve plus one. Djokovic anticipated it. He knew it was coming. He was there. And countered for a forehand cross-court winner. When you go inside in, you have to put your opponent under pressure. right? You, you have to disrupt them. Because the cross court is always going to be open with that on the run forehand cross court. Djokovic was waiting for it. He was not off balance. He was not under duress. He protected his contact point. Forehand cross court winner. Okay, still game point for Tsitsipas. 40 30. 
Tsitsipas lands a first serve. Boom. Midcourt forehand. He has exactly what he wants. Forehand inside out. Approach. Djokovic was there again. He was right there waiting for it. Anticipated it. Read it. Backhand cross-court pass. Winner. 40-15 up. Tsitsipas hits. Perfect first serve. Good first ball forehand. And Djokovic was like, read him like a book. Back-to-back points. That game goes to Deuce. Tsitsipas with a double fault at Deuce a little bit later. Second Deuce. And then uh, an unforced error on the backhand. Now it's three love. But I, I think those two points completely deflated Steph. It, it was like, are you are you kidding me here? I make two perfect first serves and have midcourt forehands and both times Djokovic hits a winner on the next ball? What? I thought that was the moment in the first set. Steph was deflated from that. Um, For, for a little while, at least. You know, I mean, I, I do want to give him props um, for, for how he rebounded in the second set. I always think that Tsitsipas is really good, actually, at fighting when he's getting beat. When he's get when he's getting even beat badly, uh, I I like Tsitsipas mentally. I think he always keeps fighting. Generally, I don't see him give up on a lot of matches, which is great. Um, what's next? Oh, let's talk about the tiebreak. So that's the key moment in the first set. Key moment in the in the second set is the tiebreak. And this is the first part of the match where I think I I'm. I want to be pretty critical of Tsitsipas. Djokovic got really tight in this in this breaker. He did. Really tight. Uh, you could see it in his second serves. His second serves were suddenly as slow as molasses. He hit one in the 60s. Uh, you could see it in his ground strokes. I talk about his big forehand, right? And how he was going into the forehand. And um, how that was... You know, how he was able to protect himself. In the tiebreak, he couldn't do that. His ground strokes slowed down significantly. And he had to just push to the backhand. That's all he could do. Uh, three points on serve. 3-3. Three, three. They both got three cheap points on serve. Tsitsipas also got a nice serve plus one. So, other than that, Breaker was going to be decided on some neutral rallies. And again... All Novak could do in this tiebreak was push to the Tsitsipas backhand because he was so tight. Tsitsipas missed three backhands. He missed three backhands. And I'm not counting the one point early in the breaker, I think it was Love 1, where Djokovic actually made him defend and Tsitsipas missed a backhand under duress. I'm not even counting that. Forget that. I'm talking three neutral backhands. Come on, Steph. Your opponent is tight. Djokovic is tight. You cannot make three unforced errors trading on your backhand. Can't happen. Unacceptable. So he loses the tie break. That's the only part of the match that I thought was was just Tsitsipas has to be better there because Djokovic was not the same Novak that we saw for the rest of the match. The rest of the match... I don't have that big of an issue. You know, I thought actually on Twitter that people were saying Tsitsipas played worse than he did in the first set. I thought, uh, you know, 
other than Tsitsipas' serve, and I mean, other than Djokovic completely taking, I mean, Djokovic's return completely dominating, completely dominating. Uh, I I don't think that Tsitsipas played so horrendously that he deserved a, a six love. I thought it was really a lot just amazing by Djokovic. Perfect first set by Djokovic. Really, perfect. Um, and then in the second set, Tsitsipas serves well. You know, I, I thought it was a good set by by Steph. Tiebreak, bad. Just just bad by by Stefanos. You have to take advantage of a tight opponent. And that's the only negative for, for Novak, looking back on the week. I mean, he was so, so good. Uh, takes care of Karatsev easily, 6-3, 6-2. Takes care of Vavrinka easily, 6-2, 6-2. Against Felix, serves for the first set, gets broken. Serves for the second set, gets broken. Um, so, you know, the only thing you can point to, and then Tsitsipas serves for, um, you know, he gets tight in the tiebreak. The only thing you can point to is a couple of moments this week where Djokovic got tight. Other than that, there's really no holes to poke in what we saw match to match to match because it was, it was Novak really at his best other than getting tight a couple times. So... That's mostly what I want to say. I guess quick note on Tsitsipas Zverev in the semifinal. I actually thought what Tsitsipas could not do in the tiebreak is what he did so well against Zverev. Steph put put a lot of balls in play. He did a great job putting balls in play against Zverev. Returns. Solid trading without errors. Um, a certain calmness. I like it when he looks calm when he's trading. When he's not going for too much, when his body looks relaxed, that's how I like Tsitsipas to trade. You know, the offense comes so easily for him. He's so good at attacking short balls, but sometimes he looks very anxious on neutral balls or balls that aren't so much attackable, and he misses, and there's no reason. He needs to calm down and trust his legs and his speed. That's what he did against Zverev. He trusted his defense. He challenged Zverev to earn everything, and he made a a crap load of balls in the third set, beginning of third set. He's really fast, really athletic. This is Clay. Use it. He needs to use that. And he did against Zverev. And look, Zverev hits very, very big. He hits a big ball. But he doesn't take time away. He doesn't always find the best angles and locations. So it's not really easy for him to hit through Tsitsipas on Clay. It seemed like Tsitsipas knew that and understood that and traded with consistency accordingly. Where against Djokovic, credit to Novak. Novak was making a lot happen from neutral. You know, it was really good aggression off the ground from Djokovic. But Tsitsipas didn't have that calmness. And that's why he missed three neutral backhands in the tiebreak. He didn't do that against Zverev. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, Zverev with a tight double fault at 2-all, 30-all in the third set, and then a forehand on forced error on a nothing ball. So Zverev kind of handed it away under pressure there. And then Sasha completely went away. He did not continue to fight after going down a break in the third set. And then he said after the match that he got tired, um, You know, which I have mixed feelings about him saying that, although it might be true. Um, I did say that in the preview. I had Zverev get in the semifinal, and I said I don't really fancy him to win this tournament because I think he'll probably get tired. So uh, it looks like that happened. And uh, that's that. But good win for Tsitsipas. He's, he's beaten Zverev really where it counts. If you look at the last four claim meetings, 
Tsitsipas wins, Roland Garros, Monte Carlo, and Rome. We know how we know what the conditions are like there. Zverev's win comes in Madrid. I don't think Steph is going to be losing sleep over that. I feel like he has a lot of confidence over Zverev on clay, and he should. All right, so that is a wrap on that. Um, there is analysis. Oh, wait, never mind. Never mind. Let's get to the French Open Power Ranking, shall we? I want to say this now. I'm going to make a video um, towards the end of this week where I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to present the final version of the French Open Power Rankings, which are, it's going to be, you know, obviously with uh, this week factored in a little bit, Geneva and uh, Lyon, okay? Uh, but I'm also going to check my work. I'm going to dig through some numbers and I'm going to make sure that after combing through some of the more kind of analytic heavy things, um, and, you know, nothing crazy. I'm not a mathematician here, but uh, record versus top 20. Uh, record versus, right, like I'm trying to look at how good, how many wins did they have during clay season against top 20 competition, right? Things like uh, how many bad losses did they take and really look at the records and the win percentages and all that. Uh, I, I want to look through that. I'm going to check my work, essentially. Um, and then potentially make some changes to this. Potentially. All right? Let me show you the power rankings from May 9th. This was last week. Alcaraz, after winning Madrid, became number one. Nadal was at two. Djokovic at three. Tsitsipas at four. Zverev at five. Rublev at six. Sinner at seven. Schwartzman at eight. Rude at nine. Ketsmanovic at ten. Nori, Davidovich, Fikina, Hercoc, Oje Aliassim. Next out. All right, here is the reveal. French Open Power Rankings, May 15th. There it is, folks. For those listening, Novak Djokovic moves up to number one. Alcaraz moves down a spot to number two. Tsitsipas moves up to number three. Nadal moves down two to number four. Zverev stays put at five. Sinner moves up to one. Rublev moves down to seven. Rude up one to eight. Schwartzman down one to nine. Oje Aliassim added to the power rankings at 10. Ketsmanovic moves to the next out. Hercoc, um stays in next out. Gafan and Dimitrov are added to the next out. Talking through this a little bit. Novak Djokovic, Roland Garros defending champion, Rome champion, positive, you know, better and better results, which with each week, that counts for something, right? That's much better than the other way. You know, if you look great in Monte Carlo and you look worse and worse every week, that's, you know, you prefer it this way, obviously. Um, and look, Rome means a little bit more than Madrid. Alcaraz with the head-to-head -head over Djokovic, that's true. But it was a third set tiebreak, right? So very close. Madrid doesn't count as much as the other ones because of the conditions. And most importantly, best of five, Roland Garros pedigree. That also counts in favor of Djokovic. That's the logic for Djokovic over Alcaraz. Alcaraz moves down to one spot to number two. Now let's talk about Tsitsipas versus Nadal. Okay. 
do I think that Stefano Tsitsipas has a better chance of winning Roland Garros than Rafael Nadal right now before I see the draw? No, I really don't. I, I really don't. Personally, no, I don't. However, the French Open Power Rankings are not about what I think. It is not about how I feel. It is about results. And Nadal did not make a clay court semifinal. Tsitsipas won Monte Carlo, made the final in Rome. And he's not lacking pedigree in terms of what he can do at Roland Garros. One set away from winning the title last year. As far as it felt like from him actually doing it, one set away. All those things considered, I can't I can't put Nadal above him um, just purely off the weight of 13 French Open titles. Uh, there, there has to be a little bit more. Nadal's going to get the benefit of the doubt always over Tsitsipas. But in this case, there's no need for benefit of the doubt because the results are too much in favor of Tsitsipas as far as the power rankings are concerned. That's why Tsitsipas is at number three, Nadal at number four. Um, Zverev makes another semifinal. Look, honestly, solid clay court season for Zverev. Very solid. Um, went deep at every single Masters. Lost to Tsitsipas twice. Beat him once. He's the clear number five. I don't think there's much uh, much debate about that. Now things get a little bit murky. Very murky. None of these guys have blown me away. But Yannick Sinner comes in at number six. He has the head-to-head win over Andre Rublev. And his results have been a little bit more consistent and better in Monte Carlo and Rome, which I simply care about more than Madrid, where Rublev had the run. So Sinner above Rublev. Um, Also... Roland Garros pedigree. Honestly, I think Sinner's is better. I don't think Rublev has, uh, you know, Rublev lost first round last year. I know Sinner's been in the quarterfinal. So Sinner gets the nod there. But, you know, I'm going to be honest. You know, Sinner lacks really high-quality, impressive victories. His best win, I I believe, is over Rublev. So there you have it. Kasper Ruud at number eight. I might change my mind on this. I have to look at the numbers. One thing that I'm not going to get sucked into for Rude is the wins at all the 250s. Doesn't mean anything, doesn't mean that much for me here. What I wanted to see is how is Casper Casper going to do in these big events? And Rude suffered too many bad losses here um, for, for all my concerns to be completely erased just by making the semifinal in, in Rome. Especially when, you know, he beat Denis Shapovalov. And and that was his best win in Rome. Didn't compete with Djokovic. He had a chance to, you know, I could have been very impressed if he competed with Djokovic. But ultimately, Rude goes the whole entire clay court season. And his best win is over Denis Shapovalov, who's not even on this power ranking. So as much as I'm tempted to look at Rude and put him over Sinner and Rublev because of what he's done on clay in his career. Well, first of all, he hasn't done that at Roland Garros. And second of all, again, it has not been a good clay court season. And I don't think the Rome semifinal really erases that. He didn't have a big enough run 
in terms of opponents defeated and the way he defeated them, right? Botik von de Zanschkop, was that a statement? No, it was a very, very tight three-setter. Um, Djokovic, did he compete? No, he, he lost very easily. So all these things, and it, I wasn't tempted to, to jump him over Sinner and Rublev. I wasn't, but I'll, I'll check that out. Diego Schwartzman comes in at number nine. Bad loss by him um, in um, in Rome. Let me just refresh myself because I know it was a bad loss, but I'm blanking a little bit on who it was to. Um, oh, Giron. Yeah, Giron in straight sets. Strange loss for Schwartzman. Uh, maybe he was gassed from the Ketsmanovich match. That was a, went into a third set tiebreak, perhaps. Um, and then lastly, you have uh, Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, who's quietly been very solid here. He's had a solid clay court season. He has, you know, started to put his uh, March struggles behind him. He wins. Uh, he makes the quarterfinals at Barcelona. He makes the quarterfinals in Madrid. He makes the quarterfinals in Rome. Is you know, and and he had a, a great win over Sinner in in Madrid. I care more about the more traditional clay when it comes to Felix because we know how great his serve is and how good that's going to be in Madrid. Uh, you know, he beat Davidovich Fakina in Giron um, in Rome. He beat um, Tiafo and Carlos Taberner in Barcelona. So, you know, are these incredible? No, he's number 10. You know, there aren't that many guys outside of the top five who have bulletproof resumes. And then Dimitrov, Gafan, Herkoc, and Ketsmanovic are my next out. So one last look at the French Open Power Rankings for those watching on YouTube. And I believe that will be a wrap. I uh, There's going to be a lot of content coming up. Uh, going to do a mailbag, looking out for that French Open draw. There's going to be a preview, of course, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Final week before Roland Garros is here. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.